Reputation. Every business has one, and in today's always-on world, it's more important than ever, especially when it comes to keeping your business and customer data safe. So, with cybercrime on the rise and the data protection stakes higher than ever, how do you keep your system safe and your business's reputation intact? I'm Kate Russell, and this is In Good Company, the show full of SME chat with a slice of tech, brought to you by BT. big purchase to make, you're not going to just hand over a stack of cash to a stranger in the street. The likelihood is you'll go online first, check customer reviews and make sure the business you're dealing with is 100% above board. The reality is, when it comes to where we spend our money, reputation matters. We wouldn't put our hard-earned cash into the hands of someone we didn't feel we could trust. And we're more and more likely to say the same about the data we share too. Because every time we hear of a big data breach, we become that little bit more wary of the business we're sharing our details with. This was clearly shown in a study last year that found while 85% of customers trust banks with their personal information, 62% would drop them in a heartbeat if they suffered a data breach. So, reputation is everything in business. And most small and medium businesses seem to agree Yet less than 23% would say cybersecurity is a big concern to them, according to KPMG. What makes even less sense is that a study by Zurich said that in 2017, almost one in six SMEs were victims of a cyber attack, and a fifth of those said it cost them over £10,000. I guess it's fair to say that cybersecurity is a bit like insurance in this respect. You'll never miss it until you need it, and then it's way too late. The good news is you're listening to this podcast, which means A, you're aware of the risks and B, you're about to hear from some great experts to get you into cyber shape and safeguard your good reputation. What tech should you put in place and how do you promote your security credentials to your customers? So, are my guests ready for the challenge? Well, we have a couple of great founders in here from an app called Flux. It's a digital receipts and loyalty card app. And we've got co-founders Veronique Barbosa and Tom Ray. Welcome to you both. Hi. Thank Thank you you for being here. Um, And we've also, completing our trio of wonderfulness today, we have got security researcher Scott Helm. Hello. Hi, Scott. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Um, It is a huge topic to unpack, you know, probably one of the single most um, uh, keeps keeps people up at night, I think, probably when they're running a small business. Um, But let's find out a little more about you first, Um, Veronique and Tom. Veronique, tell us tell us about Flux, how it came about and what exactly it is that you do. So 88% of our transactions every single day still occur in the real world. But the only way for us as consumers to keep track of exactly what we buy is on little pieces of paper. And in 2018, we think that's completely insane. So Flux is a platform that connects cardholders to retailers in order to liberate the data about what we're actually buying, that blueberry muffin or that soy flat white, so that we as consumers can finally see that data as valuable, whether it's for expensing or nutritional tracking or even crediting loyalty points. Literally, Tom, your business is just about data. You know, the data is the key to it all. What have you had to do in order security-wise to sort of shore up that situation? And not only from the point of view of your customers having confidence, but also from you having confidence that it's safe. 
Yeah, our business is all about data and the data we have is incredibly personal. It's your purchase history. It's really important to our customers that that's treated correctly. And um, that, that's why right from the beginning, we knew this was the case. Right from the beginning, we knew that we were probably going to need to be a regulated company. Um, and so we built our data to be segregated and safe. So we keep everything as separate as we possibly can. We keep things in small contained units so that you're minimizing the risk of each individual part. And the whole thing about security for us is you build layers on top of each other. So you don't rely on one really expensive, really great security product that if it fails, everything goes wrong. You build them up so that if you have one thing that goes wrong, there's another thing that's going to save you. There's a thing behind that that's going to save you again. Um, Scott, let's bring you in. Um, you are one of the fabled penetration testers, <laughs> I believe. Um, but you, you do a lot more than that. You're a security consultant, so you spend yes. a lot of time going around looking at people's systems, yep. telling them where the holes are. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, um, you know, in general terms, small and medium-sized businesses, when they're dealing with a lot of data, a lot of customer data, and it's key to their business? What are the key steps they need to, to take? This is one of the, the places where many companies fall down. So um, things like controlling who has access to a data. I've been in many different companies where they have like a very flat kind of infrastructure and a member of staff gets access to the system and the system is like all encompassing for absolutely everything. So things like basic data controls, the, the number of people that you can reduce that down to that have access to data, the smaller your risk surface. Make sure the data is siloed, don't have you know, one database to rule them all, um, as it were. The other thing that I often see is, is organizations sometimes don't kind of know exactly what data they have. So take like an inventory of the kind of data that you hold and, and where you hold that. Because if you don't have a full inventory of, of all of your, your kind of attack surfaces, we call it in the security world, then you can never really make sure that you're protecting everything that you have properly. Um, and, and often I spend a lot of time doing education as well in my consultancy work. Finding problems after they've occurred isn't as helpful as building a system or making sure that the problems don't happen in the first place. So I do a lot around education as well. And I find that often companies can have really cheap steps to take to really improve their security posture. What would be sort of like the number number? one, two, and three things that aren't being done that can be really easily done. Is it? Can we distill it down that much or not? Is it it's, more nuanced? It, it kind of is. It's because I, I would go into a company and learn a little bit about them before I could give them their top one, two, three list of things to do. So they are really kind of company specific for like a young startup or a fintech. They could be completely different to if I was going into you know, a hardware manufacturing plant that had industrial control systems running on, you know, internet connected systems. So like they, they will vary a lot, um, but you can always kind of distill it at a really high level to things like access controls. So make sure only the appropriate people have access to systems that they need. Uh, that would also tie in things like passwords. So make sure that your company's members of staff are, have like secure accounts. That would also include things like two-factor authentication. And we really don't do favors in the security world by giving them names like two-factor authentication, which doesn't give the average person any good, clue it? Yeah. what it actually does because it's like a really obscure name. Um, but yeah, there's all these kind of like basic guidelines that I find myself instilling into into people and organizations. And a lot of the time it, it does come back to the person, to the employee. I think if we educate and empower employees, we could make really drastic changes inside organizations with minimal effort. Veronica, the, the people tend to think, uh, you know, sort of when we think about um, cybersecurity, we think, you know, sort of computer code and systems. But it sounds to me like in your in your case, a lot of it is around PR as much as anything as well. 
That's that's definitely something uh, that we bear in mind. So uh, as Flux's COO and and one of uh, the founders, like the, the three founders, we take security super seriously. So since day one of starting the business, our second hire was actually uh, in in compliance and regulatory, someone very experienced on that side, and. F- the way that we think about cybersecurity is not as, oh, gosh, it's another cost for the business, something else we have to budget for. We see it as an investment into the future of our business development and our customer relations. So from the beginning, we've invested really heavily into external uh, testing, which has a terrible name, I have to say, external penetration testing, uh, which is what it's called and also into uh, voluntary audits, which is something we take really, really seriously because we uh, we think it's really important for us to be monitoring our business as closely as, unfortunately, like hackers probably are. Um, and the most important thing to us is the brand that we are creating of trust. Anything we can do to protect that brand to us is is a critical investment for the business. Because mm, I suppose, I mean, trust is a fa- famous saying, isn't it? Trust takes years to build, moments to break and forever to repair. And, and I guess that, that would be key for you, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Uh, we are asking you know cu- customers to trust us to access, hold uh, and process their data. And if we can't earn that by making the right investments from day one, then... I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they didn't want to work with us. But luckily, we're in a position now, we're growing quickly as a business, uh, working with very big partners such as Barclays Bank through their Launchpad application, Costa Coffee as well as a recent partner we announced in July of this year. And we're really proud that even as a small team of just 11 people today, we have achieved a level of security, compliance, and like regulatory um, adherence that we have satisfied the due diligence and onboarding um, standards of someone like a Barclays Bank. Do you think, Tom, is it, is it always uppermost in your mind making sure that your key sort of staff have this security mentality? Yeah, you have to make sure everyone has it. You can't just be, you can't assign an information security officer and say, right, that person's responsible for it and no one else has to care because everyone in the company touches the data to an extent. And you have to make sure that they only have the data they need for a start. But even then, you know, you've got someone who's doing support, for example, they're going to see a customer's data if they are doing a support ticket for that person. They need to know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. If they are sending a ticket over to me as a technical person to look at, they need to know it's not okay to put those customer details on a Slack or, or an email or something like that. It needs to be done in a more secure way. So it is everyone's job and everyone needs to be aware of it. And how it applies to them. Mm-mm, absolutely. Um, well, for the, if you're listening at home wondering what Slack is, it's one of the many tools that companies, young and, and sort of agile companies like Flux, I guess, use to communicate with their with their staff and 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 uh, various different processes and record that. Well, let's let's check with you then, Scott. What, is is that your experience of it? Is it human? Maybe one way to look at it, like the the common thing is. Was security the enabler for your business? Would you have been able to integrate with all these large retailers, with banks, had you not had security in place already? So like so many organizations look at costs and it's like, oh, security is a cost, you know, like it's going to cost us X, Y, Z. But the question, you know, that I try and turn back is like, but without that, would you be able to do what you do, right? Like, would you be able to integrate with a bank and have access to people's banking data or do whatever it is that you do as a business without being able to say, 
like we are, you know, we are as secure as we can be and, and we've met all of these requirements. So I think a lot of the times organizations like overlook that security enables them to do what it is that they do. And I think sometimes that change in perspective may alter the value proposition of security as well. I think it's a really good point because we have had this as a direct experience. We, we are working with banks and retailers and they are known for having pretty long sales cycles. They're not typically known for moving in a very short space of time. Um, and what we found is by putting security at the front, actually we take a lot of time off that because they know that we are doing it. Yeah, they, we have all the documentation ready and we're then able to move much more quickly as a company. And for us as a startup, that's, that's worth a lot of money. It's worth a lot of opportunity. And without that, we wouldn't be where we are now, I'm sure of it. I'm assuming at Flux you've got a, a sort of a very concise disaster recovery plan. Um, Veronique, you're nodding. I'm going to ask you, does this include... Well, how do you include the relationship with the customer? Because obviously we're talking about reputation here. Cybersecurity is really important, but we're talking about it in the context of reputation. You know, in the dreadful and inevitable you know, sort of companies do get hacked at times. So in that dreadful um, circumstance, how do you handle the flow of information to the customer? Is it is it right to tell them? Is, it, is there ever a case for not telling them and just, you know, if you, swift and clean up, swift clean up and keep it quiet? What's your what's your sort of ethos? Well, the, the law is really clear that, that you have to report a breach. Um, report to your users? To your customers who have been impacted. It's actually... Uh, there's a time limit uh, on that, so it's 100% a requirement. So in our recovery plan, there's a very clear step-by-step um, -step, uh, plan about uh, what is communicated when, what are our time limits, and more importantly, like who is responsible for that communication in the organization. And we would also have a responsibility, if that were ever to occur, to report that uh, within a closed time frame also to the ICO. We have a very detailed plan on, on how, how to handle it, and, and we've, we've actually had to um, rehearse part of it. So um, as part of our uh, onboarding and, and compliance checks with some of our partners, one of the requirements is actually to do like dummy tests of like what would happen if uh, you know, part of your systems went down. How do you quickly do you recover? How is a customer service impacted? How might you communicate? So we've actually had to test that. Um, and that that's, uh, should be quite common. I think going back to practical tips for other SMEs looking to improve or, or test um, their plans, like there's nothing better than doing a dry run, right? It's the reason we do fire drills. <laughs> I, I think we should do more cybersecurity drills as well. Mm. Is that something that you're finding, Scott? Are people sort of d doing drills for these now? It's in, in highly and more regulated industries. This is like a fairly typical thing. But, you know, if we take a step back and look at the broader spectrum, it's not something that is happening as much as it should. And honestly, most of the time, I, I would expect an organization to not have like an incident response plan or a disaster recovery plan. So it's it's something that we absolutely need. There's a reason it's in these like highly sensitive and regulated industries is because it's a, a really good practice to have. Um, but I think sometimes people are just a little bit put off and they're like, hey, wow, incident response plan. Like, this sounds like some big document that we're going to have to do loads of stuff on. And you know what? If you have a one-page incident response plan with a few bullet points and tips and contact details, that's better than none. 
So any step that we can take in the right direction, even if it's just acknowledging that you need one, right? We're one step closer to being in a better position than where we are without one. So I think it's something that we need more of. I mean, instant response plan sounds like it should be written by a lawyer, right? It sounds official and scary. (laughs) It really isn't. I can write one, it's fine. Um, And by having one, you actually take a huge amount of stress off yourself. So if I discover something that's wrong with our system, I... It's a very stressful thing, right? Um, and as a technical person, my focus is on what's technically gone wrong. What do I need to do to, to fix it or, or stem the flow? And I'm not necessarily thinking about the customer, which is what I should be doing. And the reason why we have that response plan is that then I know who to phone, who to get involved. And there is someone whose job it is to go, right, how do we communicate this to the customer? When is the right time? Do we need to talk to the FCA? Do we need to talk to the ICA, whoever it happens to be at that for whatever incident it is? And that takes a lot of the stress off me because I know that that's being handled. Could publishing your, you know, go back to the idea we were just talking about, publishing your disaster recovery plan, at least the steps of it on your website, you know, could that potentially even be like putting up a, uh, you know, this house is alarmed box outside your house? I mean, it shows the cyber criminals that you've got Something security at the, the forefront, right? Essentially, I mean, Scott, you, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but... Certainly from our experience, the majority of the threats we're seeing are automated rather than manual. So if I look at my console, we have software that detects attacks, of course. Um, if I look at those logs, we're they have 15, 20, 30 a day. Um, and these are not people these sat are there. These are, these, these are attempted attacks. So these aren't these are not sophisticated people sat there thinking, how am I going to flag, uh, how am I going to hack flux? It's scanning for common problems in websites. So there's a lot of known vulnerabilities. They get patched, and so if you update your software, it's not an issue, which you tip on the one, make sure your software is always up to date. Um, it's boring, but it, it will save you a lot of the time. But the, the people will sit there and they'll scan the entire internet for machines with these problems, and then they'll automate that attack. And so actually, these aren't people who are looking for you as an individual or you as a company. They haven't seen your ad and gone, yeah, there's something there for me to get. They're just looking for a generic uh, target. And so by making yourself less visible or less vulnerable, they will move on to the next generic target. Another point uh, that I think is really practical and and potentially useful for the SMEs listening is the UK government actually provides like a really basic uh, tool you can pay only a few hundred pounds for to get certified uh, with Cyber Essentials. It's something uh, Flux did voluntarily a little while ago. It, it's seen by some in the industry as like the first step towards a full-blown security uh, accreditation. Uh, but Cyber Essentials is a really like easy-to-use checklist and tool to basically take yourself and your business through the basics of cybersecurity. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. The good news is that the tools available to small companies have gotten really good. It used to be that you know, that very mature company, they had good security because they could afford it and that no one else could. And, and that's just not the case anymore. The, the tools are great. They're cheap. Um, you really can protect yourself in, in a really meaningful way. Mm. The, the stats that I mentioned at the top of the programme, uh, they really do astound me. The fact that, you know, for, for so many businesses, small and medium-sized businesses, they the risks are very high. You know, the, their yeah. experience of, of, of cyber attacks is, is frequent, common, not uncommon, shall we say. We don't want to scare our listeners, but it's not uncommon. Um, and yet it's tremendously low down on the list of priorities to sort out. yeah. I think this is kind of, this is really visible in my experience. So 
like all the more traditional companies that have existed for a very long time are kind of approaching this as like a new era, the new era of cybersecurity. And whilst it's been around for a few years, that's, you know, that's still like a really new thing for many companies to take on board. I'm a founder of a startup myself. We launched and took investment last year. And and for me, obviously being a security person anyway, but looking at it from like a recent founder's perspective, it's almost kind of part of the the, the starting out venture. So security nowadays for a company would be something that was ingrained right from the beginning. Whereas for existing companies and companies that have been around for many years, they're kind of trying to retrofit that into their existing business and practices. So I can appreciate in some circumstances how that's a lot more difficult for an existing company to try and and make that cultural change to introduce that rather than a small startup like us with four people where we can do that right at the beginning with minimal cost because we're so small and, and young. If I got a ransomware message come up on my computer, my gut instinct would be pull the cables out, like, you know, turn the machine off. What's the, is that, and I think everybody would, right? Is that, I mean, I don't know if you've had any training or experience, Veronique or Tom in this, but that would be my gut reaction. Your natural reaction uh, is the internet is, 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 is potentially <laughs> going to hurt me. I'm just going to disconnect from it. Wrong so thing the, to do? The disconnect part is is good. So if it's a laptop or a computer, like pull out the network cable, or if it's on Wi-Fi, turn it off. Uh, because at that point then, you've contained the incident. So if you've got malware on your laptop, it's, you know, it's a particular strain of ransomware, something like that, it's encrypting stuff, it now can't spread. Um, particularly for ransomware, we would say don't turn the device off. If that device is already lost, then that's fine, but actually keep it powered on and just make sure it can't spread. So you've contained it. Um, one of the things that I, I advise a few friends and, and companies around me when the whole WannaCry thing and the ransomware over the last year or two started to really take off was to just put together like a really brief email to send around to the whole company and say, hey, look, like we're seeing ransomware attacks in the wild. They're on the increase. These are the kind of traits and things that you can look for. Here is like step one, two, three, if you think that you've been hit by ransomware. Number one was disconnect it from the network, either unplug the cable or take the Wi-Fi and turn it off. And just like email blasts out to the company. You know, we've seen a particular threat we may face this, it's on the rise. Here are literally like just a couple of quick tips. And that could be the difference between one of your employees getting ransomware on one laptop and potentially maybe your like whole corporate network being ransomware. Yeah. From a single email with a couple of tips and pointers for people. Just to have it in, the, in their minds yep. if it happens and have them thinking about the stuff they're clicking on. Um, Scott, what, without naming any names, obviously, because I don't want to embarrass anybody, um, can you give us any examples of companies that didn't get it right and what the consequences were of that? You know, again, without without wanting to kind of over-dramatise or, or have it to be, be too scary, this, you know, this could be the difference between existing and not existing as a business. You know, there, it, there have been cases in the past, one um, where I was directly involved, where after a breach, a, a company was not able to recover. Uh, they their systems were impacted. They had to take their website down. They they sold exclusively online. Uh, they weren't an e-commerce platform. They were an intermediary, but they they sold exclusively online. And being down for close to two weeks was was such a large impact on their revenue, of course. And when they came back up, they then they just couldn't achieve like their previous sales stream. I guess people had found alternatives that they just stuck with. People had lost faith, maybe you know, they, their reputation had been damaged and, and people were like, well, you know, they've been down for a couple of weeks, they've had a data breach. Maybe we should move to a different provider, a different a different website. And, you know, shortly after the, the weeks and months, the, the company itself had to, to cease trading. So I think, you know, the, the direct impact of this can be very hard and very, very real very quickly. But then 
the lasting impact of the damage done by something like a cyber attack and, and not properly handling the, the aftermath of the incident as well. It's that trust thing. It, it takes years to build, seconds for them to lose it, and then it turns out they just couldn't repair it in time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really... It's a really sad thing to see. Um, being a fan of myself, you know, I, I dread to even think what I would feel like if that was my own business. And I think there's a lot of things that we can do to 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 mitigate a lot of the risk there. You know, we're never going to be able to stop these things. No one can say that they're perfect. It's, it just doesn't exist. But there are a lot of very reasonable measures that we can take very cheaply to, you know, to make sure that we're not the low-hanging fruit. Mm. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you know, it's I guess it's like your own neighbourhood security. If you're... If you go out and leave your front door wide open and all your valuable goods on display, um, and your neighbours, you know, well secured with nothing showing, then you yep. are going to become the obvious Absolutely. target. Criminals have an ROI. We keep talking about our ROI and security as a business, and and criminals have an ROI in their activities as well. And you know, once you can tip the the equation the other way, then you know you don't have to be unhackable. But if if there's no ROI for a criminal to hack you, then they're not going to right. So. What are the typical blind spots that you see? I'm assuming not updating your software, you're having default configurations on um, points of access externally. Any other sort of like quick fixes that people consider, you know, I want people listening at home to think, oh gosh, I haven't done that or I have done that. You know, if they haven't, they should do it now. What would you say? Um, so I think for SMEs then, kind of, you know, looking at myself in my own shoes, um, quick tips on effective things to do. I would say use a password manager. So often we commonly hear about people using the same password for multiple different systems or different websites. So that well, means... having it on a post-it note. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess a post... Like, I would rather have a post-it note with six passwords on than the same password on six sites. But let's take that a step further. Like, the next thing is to have a password manager. I, as a, an SME myself, like, I log into my accounting software, my email software, my this and that software, and all of these different portals that I have to log into. Mm. There is no way as a human that I can remember those passwords. Or they would be super short and super weak. Mm. So I just use a password manager, which means I have a really good password for all of my business critical systems that I log into. And just for, for, if you're listening at home wondering, what's a password manager? It's basically a simple piece of software. A lot of them are free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can get free tiers. acts as a vault and you just have yes. one super complex password to allow you to get into that vault. Yep. So you install it on your laptop, you put it on your phone, and then let's say, hey, I've just had to create an account with my accounting software. So my username goes in, my password goes into the password manager, it syncs to all my devices. So if I ever need to log in from my phone, or my laptop, or my PC, I just open up the application with that one strong password to get into it, and then I can just copy and paste the password out. That is much better than the alternative, which is me as a, a person trying to remember many complicated strings of text, which I just can't do. And actually, the, this the password manager that I use autofills on my phone, you know, and once you're through, obviously, the biometric um, uh, authentication for me to get in my phone, it autofills for me. So it really is super easy. Yeah. Another thing I think is really useful and has been really useful for us uh, is like mobile device management software. So there's a lot of options out there if you just search it on the internet for software that uh, you can install on your team's computers and even mobile phones if they're work-owned phones uh, where you can remotely wipe if uh, the device is ever stolen or lost. With companies. Um, more than yes. once, in fact, <laughs> we're a small company. We've already had, I think, three laptops stolen. Um, I don't know if we were really unlucky or, or what, but on journeys, yeah, yeah, it saved us several times. I mean, yes, okay, those those pass, you know, those computers were password protected and encrypted and everything, and everything they, they there's nothing they can get off there anyway. But knowing that that's wiped and 
it's not there. It's, it's peace of mind. Great peace of it? mind. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, also goes that, to your disaster recovery. Yes. In terms of publicity. Well, also worry. that attacker can't use that machine because if they wipe that machine and reinstall from scratch, the software kicks in still and relocks it. So even you know, security aside, it's quite satisfying to know that they haven't got anything out of yeah. it. Yeah. So you turn turn the tables on the hackers and brick yeah. their own their own stolen goods on them. Um, what other any other specifics in terms of you know sort of baseline services or applications that all small businesses and small and medium businesses should be looking at right from the word go? I think um, one thing that we just mentioned there was encryption of devices. Um, this, you know, historically was like a really scary thing. One of the things that we are doing really good at in the security industry now is making this technology easier and accessible. So, you know, no matter what desktop PC that you're using, operating system, Windows, Mac, you can really easily nowadays, assuming you've got a, a relatively modern device, enable encryption on those things so that if someone steals my laptop, it's in my bag over here, I've traveled to London, maybe someone grabs it on the train, it does have customer data on there. I know there is just no way feasibly that they could ever get to that data. So whilst that would be a huge loss for me in the device and the hardware, I could rest assured knowing that any customer data that's on there is still protected. Mm -hmm. The same again with mobile phones, no matter which your flavor of mobile phone is, it's really easy. It's pretty much enabled by default on all iPhones and iOS devices. Now, if you're on Android, it's super easy to turn on. Okay, any other sort of apps, sort of baseline apps, ideal security? Um, password manager, two-factor authentication, if you can get the app on your phone to do that. That's free with so many big service providers now. As always, and we've said it a lot of times so far today, it's the basics. Yep, the basics. It really thing. is. So, what advice would you all give to businesses who you know want to express? You know, we talked we talked about some very good basic tools, um, very easy to set up these days. Um, then you need to express that to your customers or you know banks to get them to sign on with your your idea. Um, what would be the advice you would give to people about how you communicate those credentials to? The, the world that you want to, to be your audience. Take those first steps. It doesn't have to be much. doesn't have to be complicated. Just by starting, you'll, you'll improve your security and, and you'll make it easier to make the next step. A long journey doesn't get any shorter if you don't actually take the first few steps, right? Exactly. I would repeat what I've been saying. Sorry to be boring, but you know, treat security and compliance as an investment, not a cost. I think if you want to supercharge your business and put a moat around your brand and reputation. Uh, if you don't adopt that mentality, it's going to be challenging. And like we've said, there's so many tools today that make it convenient rather than a, a, a burden. I think if you, you can probably start with things like Cyber Essentials or any um, certification or kind of compliance mark that you have, get those on your website. You know, like it's it's a stamp to say, even Cyber Essentials, yes, you know, that's literally step number one in the, the process to get anywhere with security. Many people haven't taken that step. Many people cannot put the Cyber Essentials stamp on the homepage of their website. So, you know, if you want to acknowledge that you're taking the, the first step in this process, then maybe just go through that scheme. And from memory, it's like, we're talking in the several hundred pounds region. It's it's, yeah, it's not it's like a, you know, it's, you know, it's not going to set your budget back for this financial year, hopefully. So... And you'll see that on the government website, presumably. Yeah, that's a government-run scheme here in the UK. And they also do Cyber Essentials Plus, which is like a continuation of the same program. Um, and that's probably something that you would tackle outside of 
you know, most of the kind of standard security practices that you have within your company, say you were getting external penetration tests if you're a company of that nature. So I think that's pretty much viable for anyone. So put that publicly somewhere to say, hey, we've done this, like putting your Absolutely. your trophies on the on the on the in the cabinet. It's kind of like putting, you know, we put like big customer logos on the homepage of our website to say, hey, look, these people trust us. These these companies, these organizations are reputable and recognized brands. And they're working with us because they trust us, because we have a good reputation and we've proven to them that we can operate in a method in which they can trust. So I think that's probably kind of a, a similar, um, along a similar line, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the things that have really sort of um, stuck out for me, and I guess I hear this, these again and again, but they've been reinforced by this conversation, Um you know, change the admin settings on, you know, so many routers you see have just got sort of like the the admin name and anybody scanning your 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 routers from outside will know that you probably haven't gone in and changed the password because your router name is, you know, is factory default. Um, passwords, password managers, making sure that you shore those up. Um, I think the cyber essentials is, you know, if, if you're sitting at home listening to this thinking, where do we start? That's got to be number one. Go to that website and that will probably inform a lot of your um, a lot of your other um, thinking or the, the next steps you take. Um, don't panic um, and make sure that you have a disaster recovery plan in place, ready to put into action and even practice it. Maybe, maybe not around dinner or on a Sunday evening. <laughs> I think the family might think that that was a bit weird. But um, listen, I'm sure we've given our listeners so much to think about. Um, I want to thank you all so much for your time and sharing um, your tips and your expertise. Um, it might feel like a lot for you at home, a lot of work getting your cybersecurity up to speed and ensuring that your business is compliant with data protection regulations. Um, but you could also view it as a chance to streamline your systems and processes. If you, know, if you get your data sorted out and what you're storing and why you're storing it, you could find it helps clear out the digital trash and make your reputation as polished to a high sheen as it can possibly be to attract new businesses. Um, thank you so much. Great company we've had in the studio today to Tom, to Veronique and to Scott um, and thanks to you as well for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do give us a shout out on Twitter. You can tag us in on at BT Business and uh, let us know what you found most useful. We do love hearing from you. That's all from me, Kate Russell in good company. For more insights, help and advice on staying protected in business, head to bt.com forward slash stay protected. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts in this series of In Good Company. Goodbye. Goodbye.